0: This series we are going into is, I believe, going to serve us so well. I'm, I'm expecting that it will be a culture shift moment for us. In that, if I'm being honest, and I don't mean this negatively, I think we could grow in the area of being a grace-filled community. I think it's an exciting adventure. I think God is going to use it significantly for us. And so just as we head out, my plan this morning really, and you won't believe me, and I probably don't believe myself, but is isn't to speak for too long. I want us to encounter grace rather than just talk about it. I want us to, was somebody mumbling or or laughing at that point? I want us to encounter afresh the grace of God. Not just make sure, not just say we've got information about grace. No, we love theology and doctrine, but that we encounter afresh the grace of God. So I'm expecting that through this series, we'll have plenty of time to pray, to minister to one another, to allow God just to come and And encounter us afresh by his spirit. So that's where we're going. Please, please come expectant in these weeks. Can I ask that of you that we are expectant and excited to encounter God afresh? Boy, do we need grace. Philip Yancey, an American author and um, writer, he he wrote a book that Mark lent me a while back. I'll give it back to you, Mark. Um, It's a great book called Vanishing Grace. And in it, he talks about how how grace needs to be fought for afresh in the church in these days. The world outside of us doesn't look at the church and particularly think of us being a a grace-filled community. And actually, there's a rediscovery and a need to press into afresh the grace of God for us as a community. And it really struck a chord with me as I've begun to read it that, yeah, that's true. I think we need to likewise look at grace afresh, encounter grace afresh, enjoy grace afresh, and be filled with joy and life in the Spirit as we do so. So, each week we're going to have a different topic, a different aspect of grace. If you think of grace like this amazing diamond, this amazing cut diamond, each week we're going to come and look at a different facet of grace. And and to kick us off this week, we're looking... At the fact that grace means that we are free. Grace means that we are free. Grace has set you free. Grace is free. It's not something you can purchase. It's a free gift of God. And so that's where we're starting this week. The the grace of God upon our lives is free. Jesus told a story. And this is where, where I want us to camp this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15... And the words will come up on the screen if you haven't got your Bible. Jesus told a story where he, he used a, a parable. And a parable is really a story to illustrate a spiritual truth. So Jesus was the master of telling stories to illustrate a spiritual truth. And parables invite you. They're a bit like a mirror where you can hold up this parable, this story to yourself. And you can, you can look at your own reflection to say, who am I in this story? What's my heart really like? And Jesus was incredibly effective at telling stories. And Jesus, we we'll see in a moment, tells a story about a father who has two wayward sons, two lost sons. This incredibly compassionate father. But just before that, the reason that Jesus tells this story is that Jesus is doing what he does best, which is going and mixing with the waifs and strays of his day, the sinners and the tax collectors. And the religious elite around him are... Are disapproving of this. They're saying, how can you do that? You're, you're setting yourself up as a religious teacher. And in that sense, you are fantastic. We love the things you say. They're, they're completely new. We haven't really heard these kind of teachings before. But the problem is, you're mixing with people who are so filthy and far from God that it goes against how we understand what a, a teacher should be like. And so rather than just engage in a debate with them about what teachers are, Jesus uses a story. And he tells a story about lost things. In fact, he tells three parables about lost things. First of all, he tells a story about a lost sheep. Then he tells a story about a lost coin. And then he tells a story of a father who has lost sons. And the point of this story, I want to make it clear up front. This is the point of this morning. If you go home with one thing, please go home with this. That your privileged position as a child of God is not based on what you do. It's based on who you are. It's not based on what you do. It is utterly based on who you are. Again, it isn't based on what you do. It's based on the grace of God. That is abundantly flowing into your life. And defines who you are if you have placed your faith in his son, Christ Jesus. So let's work our way through this story. Luke chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 11. Okay, this is good news. For families, this is a story about a family in crisis. Few God's okay with families in crisis. I just want to say that. He's the master at making amazing things come out of families in crisis. So, Jesus tells this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father one day, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my share of the estate. Now, we're going to have to do some cultural... Understanding of what is significant about this statement right here. We're kind of, it's not such a big deal if somebody says to their parents in our culture today, Dad, can I have some of my inheritance right now? We want to buy a house and we're really stuck on a deposit. Is there any chance I could, you could pay it forward a bit for me? And maybe they will or maybe they'll give you a clip around the ear, but it's not such a big deal. But in the Jewish culture 2,000 years ago, to say to your father, Father, give me my share of the estate, is in effect saying, Father, I wish that you were dead. It's as literal as that. It's standing in your father's face and saying, Father, I wish that you were dead. It's shocking. It's shocking. The way that the father would release his estate is he would have to go and sell his estate to release the finance to give to his son. This is a shocking moment in a Middle Eastern community 2,000 years ago. It doesn't happen. So this father, to the surprise of everyone, divided his property between them. So the father who has two sons, the younger son, the young whippersnapper, comes up and he's got the courage to say to his father, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me what's coming to me now. I can't be bothered to wait for it anymore. I've got plans and things I want to go and do and explore I just wish you were out the way. And his father sells his estate and gives his estate to both sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And in that sense, it's not necessarily that he was off just with prostitutes and and getting drunk every night. You can't read that into the story, but he used the money recklessly. He was careless with his money that he had inherited. After he had spent everything. So he ends up with nothing. Then, to make matters worse, there was a severe famine in in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So so in this context again, in this Jewish context, it's one thing to be poor, but to be so poor as to go and work with the most unclean of animals in Jewish understanding, pigs is kind of like you're at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. This is how far this guy had Ascended, And not only was he just looking after them, he was that hungry that he even wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. My father, he suddenly, he suddenly came to his senses. Hey, my father doesn't treat me, doesn't even treat his servants like this. He, my father's a good employer, and he looks after his servants. He gives them enough that they actually have abundance. And so he comes up with this cunning plan to get back, so he gets back on the ladder of civilization, and he says this. He's completely ignorant of what the issue is, as we'll see in a moment, but he says this. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. It sounds very noble, doesn't it? I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So this younger son, who wishes father dead, squandered the wealth, gets to the point of death's door in effect, suddenly comes to his senses and remembers his father's kindness and generosity and he thinks to himself, I'll go and I'll acknowledge that I've sinned against my father and against heaven. And maybe I can assume the position of a hired servant. Maybe I can pay back my father. Maybe if I work for, for enough years, I can repay the debt to my father that, that I've made a mess of everything and, and begin to put things right. He is completely ignorant of the fact that the issue is not to do with money. He thinks of his father as an employer that he has to work for to earn his father's approval. Maybe if I work for him, then he'll be pleased with me. Maybe if I work for him, then I can repay the debt that I owe him. Maybe if I work a bit harder than everybody else, then he'll remember that I am his son. He completely misses the point that it's not the issue of money, it's the issue of broken relationship. That's what's going on in this story. It's a story of a father who has broken relationship with his son. This is an incredibly brave move. In a shame on a culture 2,000 years ago, to have the, the gall to go back, to walk back to your community and say, I've made a mistake. Can I work and pay off my debt? Is an incredibly brave move. Let's read what happens. But while, he was, but while he was still a long way off. His father saw him. While this young guy. Who had made a mess of his life. Was a long way off. His father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. Threw his arms around him. And kissed him. This is. This is just so shocking in, again, Jewish culture 2,000 years ago. This is utterly shocking for a number of reasons. One, wealthy Middle Eastern men 2,000 years ago did not run. They did not run because to bare your legs was a complete dishonor in that culture. And the only, only way to run would have been to hoik up your toga or your, or your dress and to run and to bare your legs. And to do so would have brought utter shame on the father, because old rich men don't run. It's 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 a shameful thing, and yet we see this father, we see this father the moment he sees his son coming towards him, hike up his dress and run to his son. This is utterly incredible. The other reason that is it is incredible is this: there's a guy called Kenneth Bailey who's an Old Testament or a biblical scholar. And he wrote this great book called um, The Cross and the Prodigal. And in it, it, he's describing this moment right here. And he's saying, we need to understand how shocking this moment is. Because to bring shame on a family in that culture, in our Western minds, we think very individualistic. Well, it's just affected me and my family. It doesn't really have bearing on my community. But in a Middle Eastern culture, to bring shame on your family on that way is to bring shame on the whole community that you are a part of. And Kenneth Bailey, he says this, that at that moment, what would typically happen is the whole community would arise on seeing this son coming back, having the, the courage or the foolishness to come back to his home village. They would get a jar, a clay jar, and in that jar, they would fill it with bitter spices and herbs. And as the son approached the village or the town, they would, they would go out to him and they would break, they would smash this jar on the road and they would shout to him, get away from here. You're no longer part of our community. You're no longer worthy to be part of our community. At times they would lynch somebody who had the cheek to come back in the same circumstances. Even death for this kind of return of this young guy. And just and Kenneth Bailey says, and it's interesting, he says maybe the father knew that was what was about to happen. And so he ran. He raced past all of his neighbors. All of his fellow Men that, he, that, that looked up to him and thought of him as a, as a noble guy. He chose in that moment to bear shame. And he ran to beat them to his son. Because he knew that they would send him away. That they'd say, you're not welcome here, go away. And he wanted, as we'll see, to embrace his son. This father was a father who had huge compassion on his children. He ran and threw his arms around him. And kissed him. This father was willing in front of his whole community. To embrace his son. To hold him up. To, to bear his shame. Hey, That's exactly what our heavenly father is like. He's a father who has ran to us. And he held us up. He bared our shame by sending his son Christ Jesus. Upon the cross. This is an utterly shocking story I know we're very used to it but it's a bit like it's a bit it's the equivalent of stripping off in Oxford Street and just deciding to run down the middle of it not for a joke but because for some reason your child's down there and you've got to strip off and run down Oxford Street it's that same kind of humiliation that same kind of shame it is that shocking The father got to his son and he embraced him. In that moment, he he demonstrated to his community, I'm accepting my son. Let's see what happened. You see, you'd expect the father to strike his son. You'd expect him to, to be the first with the jar to say, you wish me dead. Well, you've made your bed, now lie in it. Get out of here. You're no longer my son. That's what you'd expect to read. But the father said this. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. In that very instant that the son came back, the father reestablished, reappointed to his son his position, his privilege and his authority that he is a son of the father. We, we shouldn't expect that. When Jesus was telling this parable the, the people who were hearing this story were not expecting that moment. They were expecting the father, as I said, to strike the son. And then he goes on to say, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Literally, let's have a feast and be big chested, big diaphragmed. Let's have life in us. Let's have substance in us. Let's have, let's have enjoyment and laughter within our very being. Why? For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to be big diaphragmed. They began to celebrate. They began to marvel at this son returning and the generosity of the father. What an an amazing dad. I know in the world that we live in, Many, many, and many in here have terrible experiences of fathers. And our our understanding of what a father is like is framed by our experience of our earthly fathers. And maybe you're thinking, you hear this story and, and your immediate impulse to it or reaction to it is, can it really be true that God is that kind of father? That sounds too good to be true. You can't. Get something for free. There's always a catch. What's the father expecting in return? What's the father after? What's the catch? I was just reading on the BBC website the other day about, and maybe some of you have fallen for this, um, those adverts on Facebook or Twitter about face creams. And get a free trial of this face cream. And so you sign up and your free trial comes through, through. And then a month later or two months later, you suddenly find that £69 has gone from your bank account and another tub of face cream that you didn't order or didn't think you ordered has come through, and then the next month another sixty-nine pounds has gone, and you find that you've you signed this direct debit that you had no clue. You thought you were getting something for free. No shame, by the way, if that's you. This father is nothing like that. No catch no requests. He knows that the issue is one of broken relationship. He is nothing like earthly fathers. As good as they are, or as bad as they are, this father is utterly different. And so this son who had squandered his his father's wealth, brought shame on his community, wished his father dead, has suddenly reunited. and he, And he, in that moment, Can you remember when he said, I'll go to my father and say, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. Can I work for you as a hired servant? You know, when he comes to his father, notice this. He said this, father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am now no longer worthy to be called your son. There's no mention about becoming a hired servant. He realizes in that moment that the father embraces him. Ah, this is nothing to do with money. It's nothing to do with repaying a debt. It's to do with broken relationship. This father has another son. We often, we often think about this, this parable as, Oh, when I first believed in Jesus, I was off doing my own thing, disinterested in Jesus. And then I came to my senses and I came to Jesus And he gave me life and he dressed me and clothed me. But this isn't really to do with people who are far from God. This is to do with people who are in the household of God. You and I, followers of Jesus. And how we respond to God. And for some of us this morning, we're just like the younger son. We say, I want the blessing of God. I want the privileges of being part of the family of God. Freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, eternal life, but I want to go and live the way that I want to live. We can, we can take all the blessings of God and squander them incredibly easily, even as followers of Jesus, but some of us are like the elder brother that we come to encounter here, and it says this in verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Now, this older son is no saint, Sometimes we think it's the younger son who was the, the sinner, and the older son's a saint. But this, youngest, this older son is no saint. When his, when his younger brother asked his father for the money and said, I wish you're dead, this older brother, his position in the family was that of mediator. And in that moment, he should have stepped forward, he should have beat the younger brother. I'm not um, condoning beating, by the way, this morning. But in effect, that's what he should have done. How dare you treat our father like that and bring shame upon us? That was his position. Yet he remains utterly silent. And he too takes his share of the portion. And in that culture, in Jewish inheritance laws, he would have got two thirds, and the younger son would have got one third. I don't think there's a problem with the older son receiving more than the rest of the family. I quite like that personally, being an eldest son in my family. Um, <laughs> But when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked them what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. At this, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Incredible, isn't it? That this this brother who, who was with his father, who knew what his father was like refuses to go in he too is out away from his father he is just as lost as the younger son he's away from his father and again the father to the shame of everybody goes out to his son he had no right to talk to his father like that and in the middle of the party the father is again happy to take shame upon himself and go out to the older son who likewise has spat in his father's face the father went out to him but the son answered his father look at all these years i've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders this elder son has the same issue as the younger son he thinks his relationship with the father is not about relationship but is a is a is a work earning is a work compensation i've been slaving for you i've obeyed your orders I wonder how when Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will obey my commands. I wonder how that comes to our ears with a a threatening menace sound. If you love me, then you will obey my commands. I'm sure many of us hear when Jesus says it like that. If you really love me, then you'll prove it by obeying my commands. And we picture Jesus as being this slightly insecure guy who who is threatening his disciples. Prove that you love me. By obeying my commands? Or do you hear the voice of Jesus saying, hey, if you love me, do you know what? You will obey my commands. It's what's going to flow from you. It's what's going to come out from within your inmost being because you love me. For the love of God compels us. This, This older son is just as in a mess as a younger brother. Listen to the cheek of him. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. What? He's just received two-thirds of his father's estate. This guy is deluded. And he says this, but when this son of yours, he's now no longer a brother, he's the father's son. When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. This son has no idea what this brother of his has been up to. And he suddenly goes into accusation. He's, he's wasted money with prostitutes. I know precisely the kind of person that he's like. Hey, how often does that happen in our community? Hey, I know what that kind of person's like. I've met their kind before. Do you know they X, they Y, they Z? Hey, they drink far too much. Do you know that? Hey, I heard that they're sleeping round. Do you know that kind of thing happens in churches? All the time. No information, but I know what that kind of person's like. I bet I put money on it that they're doing. The father replies to the son. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Everything, everything I have is yours. You don't need to work for it. What are you talking about slaving and obeying orders? That's All this time you haven't seen my generousness and my kindness towards you. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to obey my orders. Everything I have is yours. You're my son. Have you missed that point? But we had to celebrate. We had to be big chested, big diaphragmed and be glad because this brother of yours is dead and is alive again. He is lost and he is found. I tell you, this kind of father is an incredible father. He gives the younger son what he doesn't deserve, what he cannot earn. This, this younger son deserved to die, really. And he gives him life. He gives him his position, his privilege back, and the authority of being in the father's household. Everybody in that community would have known this is the loved son. This is the son who was dead but now is alive. This father would have completely dumbfounded the whole community. It's just not what happened. Two lost sons and one compassionate father. The elder son, his, his issue was he was so blinded, he was so far from the son... Sorry, so far from the father. He was out from his father's side. He was as lost as the younger son. He thought it was about money and debt and just sheer obedience. He completely missed that what the father longed for more than anything was relationship. Do you know that's what your heavenly father longs for more than anything? Is to have relationship with you. It is not what you do. It is who you are. He is not impressed by what you do. He loves who you are. And this younger son, he experienced something really quite incredible that I wonder if we forget so often. And that maybe we'll pray in just a moment. What happens is we do this, I'm sure, is we think of ourselves as forgiven sinners. Jesus died on the cross for me, took my sin upon himself, paid the price of it, forgave me my sin. And we forget that God has bestowed upon us that incredible position as sons of God. With the privilege, the promises, the protection, the authority that we are now sons, children, daughters of God. That's who we are. That's who we are. It's not about what you do. It's not about the fact that you're here this morning. It's not about the fact whether you prayed yesterday and read your Bible yesterday. It's not about the fact whether you sinned this week or, or, or early this morning. Just you, you sent off an email in a, in a rash moment. You responded to somebody and just utterly gave a low blow because they had annoyed you so much. And you, you've sinned against somebody. It's not about what you've done. It's about who you are. It's about who you are. It's about the grace of God upon our life. That sets us free from condemnation. That gives us new life. This free grace of God that is a gift upon us. He, this younger son is no longer simply a forgiven sinner. He is now a son of his father. It's fascinating, isn't it? That the older brother, we don't know the decision he made. We don't know. We, we literally don't know. Maybe he came in... And celebrated and his father celebrated with his community that his, both his sons had returned. Or maybe his compassion and grace towards the younger son. So confused how the elder brother thought that relationship or thought that obedience and working for his father worked. That it drove him away. We can fall into that trap so easily. Why, why are you showing them grace? Don't you know what they've done? Why, why, why are you treating them like that? I, they offended me. Why are you still loving them? Why are you showing them favor in that moment? We, our hearts are, are prime anti-grace places at points. We, 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 re, we rebel against it at points. Even, as, even though we love God, we find it so, this amazing grace. It's more shocking than we think. We, we tame this word down to this nice word that we bat about at times, but we kind of lost the power of it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you and me. Grace restored the son to the father's side. And what I'd love us to do right now is to just take a few moments to, right at the start as we head into this series, take a moment to say and remind ourselves it's not what you do. It's who you are. It's the grace of the Father upon you that defines who you are. And that your whole life flows from that. Please don't make the mistake of thinking that it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. Sin has consequences. Absolutely. There are many people, and there's a, an old heresy that's as old as the gospel itself, that says, because of grace... The law no longer matters. Just do whatever you want. Because, and Paul had this. The apostle Paul, didn't he? He had people saying to him, because of grace, therefore, does it mean that I can sin all the more so that it means grace abounds all the more? And Paul says, no, far be it from that. Not at all. But the grace of God, it, it, it welcomes us into this relationship with God. And it also motivates us to live for God. It's not powerless It's not weakness, it's the love of God displayed in our lives. And so can I invite you to stand? This grace of God means that we learn to love because he first loved us. It means that we learn to give because he freely gave to us. It means that we're merciful because he was merciful to us and showed us mercy. It means that we forgive others because God forgave us even in our sin and filth. It's the grace of God upon display in our lives. And this grace should motivate us in these days. To increasingly long to look like Jesus. To increasingly long to understand that. Hey it's about my relationship with my heavenly father. And so I just invite you. Maybe some of you that think this morning. Just live with these lies in your head. Where you think. If I read my bible a bit more. And prayed a bit more. Then God would be pleased with me. If I compared myself to those around me, my friends, my neighbours, to others in church and I did a bit better with them, then, then I'd feel a bit better and God would be more pleased with me. Maybe some of you are living with such fear that you say, there's no way that God could possibly love me. And you're living with lies that have controlled the way you think and live. Or just shame from things that have happened in the past, that you decisions you've made that have caused your life to go wayward. Moments of recklessness. And you just have shame and you you think, there's no way that kind of father could truly love me. Do you know, it's not what you do or what you've done. Your past in the kingdom of God does not define you. It's what Christ has done upon a cross. When we were far from God, when we were reckless with our lives, yes, God ran to us. He crossed the cosmos. He ran. He bared his legs. In fact, he, he bared his son upon a cross. That's what he did. He loved you so much. He took the shame of all of creation. Looking upon that moment of shock and horror. God does not get upon a cross. What is going on? God does not take the shame and the filth. And embrace the younger son. God is holy. He doesn't die. He doesn't take sin upon himself. But in that moment. God so loved you and I. That in our moment of reckless living. He ran. Some of you this morning need to hear that afresh. And you need to go just saying to myself, it's not what I do. It's who I am. It's not what I've done. It's what he's done. It's who he is. I'm a son of the living God. I'm a daughter of the living God. God's not after my performance. He's after my heart. And I tell you, when you begin to live understanding that, that that grace captivates your heart afresh. You'll be so motivated to live for God. To honor him with all your life. Grace is the best motivator to honor God. What kind of person doesn't want to honor that kind of father? So guys, just I wonder if band, if we could just sing one song to close with. I just want to pray as the guys come. You haven't got to come to the front or anything, but can I just as we... Finish. Can I invite you to, to respond in your hearts? God is after your heart. Afresh this morning as we launch out on this new series. Don't miss this opportunity to fall in love with God afresh. To see him running to you. Whether you're like the elder son or the younger son. God is coming to you this morning. Hey, I, I know my heart. I know I need to embrace that father that's running to me again. I need to know his grace afresh in my life, that joy. Those who live like the younger son or the older son, I tell you, their lives are marked by joylessness. But grace comes and it brings a joy and life of God into our lives. And so I pray for you, Gateway. I pray for you right now that that through the Spirit, the empowering presence of God, right now this morning, you would know that life-giving joy. Of God flowing in your innermost being again that that you would be like that vine that is that is um, being um, implanted into the into the into the trunk, the branch. What I'm talking about, the you know, the vine, the, I'm the vine, you're the branches. That you'd be like that again, drawing your life source from Christ this morning. It's not what you're not doing anything, you're just drawing life from him, you're drawing grace from him. And I pray that you may in this day encounter afresh the grace of Of God. He is not after your performance. He is not after you. Never doing anything wrong. He is not after you. Always doing the right thing. He is after your heart. And he's won it by running to you. And he'll run to you again and again. Do you know what? It doesn't matter how many times you fall on your face. God is the running father. So in this moment. Let's just. Let our hearts come before God. Let's do business with him in that quiet place. Maybe for some of you, you'd like to just um, take communion and just in your heart, before God, say thank you for your cross. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for your body that you gave for me, that you took my shame and guilt upon yourself. And just before God, in that quiet place, just allow him to minister to your heart. We love you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, you're a compassionate God. Thank you, you're a running Father. Thank you, you're kind and grace-filled. Thank you, you don't treat us as we deserve. You don't give us what we deserve, but you come and you clothe us in Christ. You celebrate over our return to you. Whenever we just look to you and make one step towards you, you run towards us. You just need to say this and then we'll worship. It doesn't matter what you have done with your life to this point. God is looking for you. And the moment he sees you, he'll run to you. If you're you're here and you don't know this amazing Father, can I encourage you, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus this morning, maybe for the first time, and the promise is that you will encounter that embrace of the Father, and you will know life and freedom from just the, the squalor of life. Amen. Come on, guys, let's just spend a few moments worshiping. We'll get the kids in just a couple of minutes, but let's just allow God to minister to our hearts.